0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Alright, great. It's good to know a few more friends uh, just in that short 30 seconds. Um, BTPC at 4pm, we are kind of new, so everyone is new. Uh, We've been here for just a few weeks. Um, is as our third service in b t b c um the sermons we are currently in the series of matthew so we 'll be going through the whole of matthew um if you have missed the earlier sermons, it's on podcasts, so you can just search for our podcast and you 'll be able to download the last uh five sermons if you don 't really know how to get there it 's very easy. This is our survivor sheet. all you have to look at is look at the the context slip here just put a click says i'd like to receive b t b c at four p m updates or put a command to say that Hey, you know, how do you even get the podcast going? And we'll get back to you. So it's a great place for us to know you and for you to know us. So let me begin this time by committing ourselves to God, to speak to Him. And then we'll dig right into Matthew chapter 5. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this afternoon. We thank you for the privilege to gather um, openly, joyfully to hear and to engage with your word. So, Father, we pray you open our eyes and our ears and our minds that we may understand. Pray that you soften our hearts, that we can respond, and that you will strengthen our will and our hands, that we can live out what we want to respond to you. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I'll make you fish for people. These are the words of Jesus that we heard last week in Matthew 4. But the question is this, how does Jesus actually send people out to fish for more people? How does Jesus send his disciples to be fishes of men? Now this afternoon we have finally come to the start of Jesus' extended teaching and he will unpack what it means to be his disciples So come with me as we look at verse 1 and verse 2. And uh, let me read this for us. Matthew 5 verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now we have read last week as well as today's introduction that great crowds of people were following and gathering around Jesus at this point of his ministry. Now as Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down to teach, the crowds who have been drawn by his fame uh, and by his miraculous works are also gathering around him towards uh, the mountainside. And they were there gathering trying to listen. In fact, at the end of Jesus' mountain hillside teaching from Matthew 5-7, to the author records this for us. Let me just read this briefly for you um, in Matthew 7. At the end of Jesus' mountainside teaching, it says this, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So a huge crowd gathered around Jesus and they were listening to the teachings of Jesus. But yet, it was actually the disciples of Jesus That he is wanting to teach. So let's take note of this as we look at verse 1 and 2, that Jesus was teaching his disciples, not in private, but in the presence of crowds. But it was the disciples that his conversation is going to be for the next portion of today's um, passage. Now the question might be who actually are the disciples of Jesus? In Matthew 4, we we actually read a, a brief account that there were at least four fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But by this time, chapter 5, you probably have more of Jesus' disciples. Probably most of the 12 disciples were there, along with some disciples amongst the crowd. Uh, there are probably those who, amongst the crowd, who will not identify with Jesus' teaching. In fact, will be against it. But there will also be those among the crowds, as they hear Jesus' teaching, their hearts start to beat. Their hearts start to burn because that was exactly what they are trying to understand as the words of Jesus are, are being spoken out, that their hearts burned in response. So here, as Jesus begins teaching, he starts to speak about the blessed life that is both kind of counterintuitive, even confusing, but at the same time attractive to even our modern world. You know why? It, our world will say, How blessed are those who are rich? who are always smiling, who are confident, who are filled, who are well-loved by everyone. In fact, go to any of the bookshops, you can find one whole bookshelf of books that teach you how to be rich, how to smile more, how to attract people, how to be filled, and how to be just um, the perfect, happy life. you will be no difference from people throughout um, all generations, from, Jesus, from, today, from our time back to um previous generations. Yet yeah, as you look at today's passage, Jesus actually says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are hated by others for his sake. Jesus says, These are the blessed people. These are the ones who will be the kingdom people, who will be comforted, who will receive inheritance and who will be filled, who will be shown mercy, they will be children of God, and they will see God. So how strange is this teaching of Jesus to our modern world? But if we just pause for a moment, and we actually step back to the time of Jesus, that those people who are searching for God, and as they listen, what they are hearing are actually promises of God from Old Testament. What they are hearing are actually the hopes that the people are, are longing for. And this is what Jesus is saying. These are all sprinkled in Old Testament as Jesus brings this out. But who can actually fulfill all these things as we read? Who can actually fulfill all this promises and say, you go to kingdom of heaven, you receive peace. Who can do that? And the Bible says only God can do it. Only God's own Messiah can do it. And that was why Matthew took the pains of the last four chapters, trying to help us understand that Jesus is God's Messiah before he starts to record the words of Jesus. So for us, it would be absolute mistake this, morning, this afternoon that as we read these blessings together, to read it apart from the Messiah King, to just read it as if it's kind of a um, special teaching or secret teaching from some gurus that you can get some treasures out of God's heavenly trove. No, the treasure trove. This is some, it's not that if we are trying to just look for some secret formulas, we'll totally miss the point because it cannot be read apart from the King Himself. Because only He can give the blessings because these blessings ultimately will point to God's great salvation. These blessings ultimately points to who is God's King and these blessings ultimately point to who we are men to be. So as Jesus the King, the light that shines in darkness, arrives, let's begin by looking at what he has to say. I put the word beatitudes because it's quite a common um, way that people like to put it, but the word beatitude basically means the list of blessings in this mountaintop uh, teaching. So let's begin by looking at verse three to six about the beatitudes of the needs. Or some would call it the broken blessedness. Because this is rightfully so. Because if you look at verse 3 and 6, it's all about spiritual bankruptcy. Spiritual bankruptcy that only the disciples of Jesus can recognize. So come with me as we look at verse 3. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who actually recognize that they are totally bankrupt spiritually, and they walk on their knees humbling, humbly and trembling in God's presence. They come to God not with some achievement they have made, but they come to God asking for mercy. You now, Jesus says this, that the ones who are poor in spirit will enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, this is taken... A lot from Isaiah itself. Let me just read to you Isaiah 66 and a prophecy earlier on about the Messiah written about 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah 66, it says this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you built for me? Where will my resting place be? These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite, in spirit and who trembles at my word. This is totally opposite from the religious proud that we will come to, to our encounter later on, who are proud of their virtues and they pray in confidence of what they have achieved spiritually and they look at others and say, those sinners. But we, the spiritual, this is totally opposite for that because the pride and the self-confidence of religiosity has no place in the kingdom of heaven. So how does a poor in spirit actually look like? It looks very much like the prophet Isaiah himself. This is what Isaiah says where he met God. Isaiah chapter 6, let me read this in his vision. Woe to me, I cry, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That is the response of a poor in spirit. They knew their spiritual bankruptcy and they come to God with fear and trembling. To these people, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who see they have nothing and can only look to God, Jesus says they will have everything. They will have the kingdom of heaven. And verse four, going on, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, in a world that focuses on pursuit of happiness, this blessing of Jesus sounds really, really foreign. Because how can you be blessed if you are mourning? You know, in, for us, usually mourners are kind of the unfortunate people who have you know, bad days in their lives. Because for us, what is what is blessed are uh, having pleasure having the YOLO experience in our culture. You know YOLO, right? You only live once. So you, you need to have the YOLO experience because that is blessedness. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. In our world that pursue happiness, the world, the words of Jesus are actually contemptuous. But you start to see that self-gratification or seeking pleasures on yourself and mourning, they are like water and oil. They actually can't mix very well. You try to shake them, uh, they, they, they just don't mix. Because... One is for self and the other is not. Yet those who are poor in spirit because they know their own spiritual bankruptcy in God's presence, they cannot help but mourn for themselves. They cannot help but they mourn for their loved ones. They cannot help as they look at the world and they mourn for the world. For when they witness self-gratification and rejection of God, they mourn of the spiritual bankruptcy of the world. For what feels right, the world follows. And those who moan, they moan because that's not how the kingdom works. They moan how far humanity and the world that God has created to be good has turned against God himself. In fact, this is the psalmist's words in Psalms 119. This is what the psalmist said. He said this, as he looked around, he says, Streams of tears flow from my eyes. For your law is not obeyed. Psalms 119, verse 136. One who moans and says, Look, the world that has rejected God and his word, streams of tears flow from his eyes. These are the mourners Jesus speaks about. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus does not mean just mourning because we have some personal losses, but those who mourn over our own sin, the sin of others, the sins that permeates the world. The kingdom people who mourn over. The rejection and the indifference the world has over the gospel. Jesus says, blessed are they, for they uh, will be comforted. So dear friends, as we kind of just pause here for a moment, let me ask, do we actually mourn? If you're a Christian, do you mourn? Do you mourn for sin over indifference of the gospel that goes around and the consequence that comes with it at the end? Jesus says, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because such is the kingdom irony. Those who mourn on this side of life, they will be comforted in the next life in the kingdom. For at that place, sin and the consequence of sin will be no more. There's nothing left to mourn for those who mourn for the world. As God has promised in the Messiah in Isaiah 61, let me just read to you. This is what the Messiah came exactly to do. And this is what Jesus says. The spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of Despair. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. And the next blessing, verse five: Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, for those who understand and recognize the desperate need for God, they will not be proud, aggressive, or arrogant. Instead, a meek person—how does it look like? A meek person is one who is gentle, who is humble, who is unassuming, and nothing is too beneath them to serve. Now, meekness. Just to clarify, meekness has nothing to do with weakness. Because a meek person can be fully powerful in this world. But what differentiates a person who is meek and not is that a person who is meek has God in mind, whatever the circumstances. He lives in dependence on God and he flees from evil because they know who is the king and who has the ultimate power. And this is where Old Testament comes in again. Psalms 37, verse 9 to 11 on the screen. This is what it says by the psalmist. Those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. They will be all burned up. But the meek will inherit the land and they will enjoy peace and prosperity. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the land. You this promise, when it's given in Old Testament, it speaks about the physical land that God has given. Those who are meek will enjoy the richness of God's land because that's what God has promised. But when the king of the kingdom of heaven comes, he says, Bless are the meek, for they will inherit land and prosperity and joy in my land, in the kingdom of heaven. That is what the king has promised. But as for the proud, the arrogant The aggressive, those that refuse to be meek, they will inherit nothing from the king. Now the next blessing that follows on with the kingdom's people's allegiance to king's way and the king's character. Look at verse six with me. Verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You no, know, as kingdom people recognize they're spiritually bankrupt in themselves and they moan over the ugly infestation of sin in the world as they live in meekness with God in view. They also have an unquenchable longing for God's righteousness to come. You know what? There are many things in our human humanity that we hunger and thirst after. I don't know if you find this as familiar as I find it for myself, many people hunger and thirst for blessedness and happiness. That's what we long for, happiness. Yet, the more we go after this elusive happiness, apart from God, the more this happiness runs away from us. The irony of trying to grab happiness is this. Let me say this for us. When we put happiness in place of righteousness, we will never get it. Let me say that again. When we put happiness in place of righteousness, we will never get it. But Jesus says, blessed are those who have their deep, unquenchable longing for God's righteousness. Blessed are they because they will be satisfied. That is when true happiness comes in, a day when your deepest longing to be totally righteous will be fulfilled. Those who look at them, say, I wish I'm more righteous. I long for righteousness in the world. On that day, that righteousness will be fulfilled. And they who long for righteousness will have it. So as we kind of pause here, there are a lot of blessings in this um, beatitude. The question perhaps we need to ask is, how blessed are you and how blessed am I? Do we have this inward life of a blessed disciple's For those of us who profess to be Christians, we must pray that the Lord will continue to transform us more and more inwardly so that we will bear the mark of the kingdom of heaven outwardly. So now let me look on quickly to the next series of blessedness which is responding to God. Verse 7 to 12, very briefly, let me look at how kingdom people actually respond to the world. Okay, so begin by looking at verse 7 with me. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And what blessed people are those who actually understand what mercy looks like. You no, know, teachers, Jesus has taught in his other parables that a person who truly understand the kind of undeserving mercy that God gives them, they will be a merciful person. It is not merely kind of occasional act of mercy. Sometimes someone is merciful because today I feel good or today I've been inspired. But it's not that kind of mercy. A merciful person is one who is merciful inwardly because he has a constant gratitude to God. A constant gratitude to the mercy of God. In fact, there will be never enough mercy for them to show that when they have shown all the mercy they can they can show, it's but kind of a shadow of the mercy that God gives. And to these people, Jesus says, they are blessed on that final day when the wheat and the shaft are being separated, when the wheat are being gathered to the kingdom of heaven, the shafts are being thrown to the unquenchable fire. These people will receive the mercy of the King. Himself, they'll be gathered as the wheat and brought into the kingdom of heaven. But those who refuse mercy, may they never need mercy on that final day. For they will not receive mercy. Oh God, help us to actually recognize the mercy of King Jesus that He has offered to us when He died on the cross. That we We never grow cold and never get used to mercy that God gives to us. But now we must move on. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is a really tough one for me. Like, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Because no one can really be Totally pure in heart, isn't it? For even in the Old Testament, Moses, the great Moses, this is what God said to Moses. Let me, let me point to you in Exodus, when Moses wanted to see God, Moses, God says, the Lord says, you Moses, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. So what does it actually mean to have pure heart so that we can see God? Let me just bring to you Psalms 24, uh, and then later on we'll Um, try to grapple with this a little bit more. Psalms 24, I put it on the screen. This is what it says, Psalms 24, verse 3 to verse 4. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Let's put this verse on hold for a while. As we reflect, right, if you try to reflect on ourselves, we realize that we can never have a pure heart by ourselves. To even try to think we can attain pure heart, we've kind of overshot our own capability uh, to want to be that. Now, once I asked myself this question many, many years ago, as I read the Beatitude, I asked, God, can I afford to miss or skip this blessing? (laughs) In fact, in fact, can I afford to skip any of these blessings listed by Jesus? And I sat there for a long time and I look and I think and the answer is no. It dawns on me that all these blessings are kind of organically linked, right? We, we cannot cherry pick some and not choose others. We cannot look at this, oh, this seems more possible and I'll have this blessing, well, I'll give up these blessings. Because who can enter the kingdom of heaven and not see God? So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom people are those who must have pure hearts. For we cannot enter the kingdom and we cannot be contented and be filled and not see God. So who are those who are pure in heart? I think this is what it's trying to say. Those who are pure in heart are those who by grace have been cleansed by God. They are those mentioned in Psalms 24 verse 4. So there? Psalms 24 verse 4. Those who do not trust in idols, those who do not swear by false gods, but they only swear their complete allegiance to God and not to give their allegiance to the world, to the devil, or to their own sinful nature. They give their allegiance to God. Even today, those who are pure in heart will see God in ways that the impure will never see. They will see this world and they will see God's hand ruling over it. They will see God's impending judgment to evil. And as Psalms chapter 1 actually puts this, let me just bring it to you. What a person who sees God in this world will do. They will refuse to walk in the steps of the wicked, or stand in the ways of sinners, or take the seats in the company of the mockers. But they will delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on His, His law day and night. So these are those who are pure in heart, who will see God. Still, they are actually pure in heart, not because of their achievement, but because they are cleansed by the king that they have sworn allegiance to. So blessed are the pure in heart, those who have been cleansed by the king, who have received purity by the king, who Can see God. So on earth, the pure in heart will see a dim reflection of God. But one day, they will truly see God and live. And so Jesus said in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not merely peace keepers. They do not merely maintain peace, but they are people who actually bring hostile people together. The reason why the kingdom people are peacemakers is because their king is the greatest peacemaker. Because Jesus came to the world to bring the enemies of God and they bring them to make them the children of God. He does that when He stretched out His hand and He lay His life down and bled His blood, as we remember in our communion, so that there is a possibility for heaven and earth to meet. For those in the world who has rejected and rebelled God and they repent and come to Jesus, they can look up and say, God is my Father because of Jesus. As you look at verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. I just want us to kind of pause here. Look at verse 9 for a while. And let's ask this question. Can we start to just catch a glimpse of what Jesus actually meant last week? When He says, repent, come follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Not with some, I'll teach you some tricks so that you can evangelize the people. But He says, repent, Come to me, I will make you at peace with God so that you have a message to bring to the world to say that you can have peace with God as well. That you can be peacemakers, not with tactics or not with methods, but he came and make us at peace with God, calling him father and says, now you can be peacemakers. Because you are the children of God. This is what Jesus calls his disciples to him. And that is the message that peacemakers who are children of God carries with us. We're not just called to be in UN and make other humans be peacemakers. This peacemaking, these peacemakers we are called to are to connect those who are spiritually dead And bring them to receive eternal life. Dear friends, what amazing blessing Jesus is speaking on this mountainside. No wonder He speaks to the crowd. But it's only to the disciples that this makes any sense. As we kind of pause here, are you and I, the blessed disciples of Jesus, are we blessed? No, those who are followers of Jesus will see gleams of these characteristics in our lives, we will not be perfect at all. We can't and we will never be until Christ returns. But we will reveal glimpses of the King's character. And by God's Spirit, that we will grow more and more like Jesus till the Kingdom of Heaven comes in His full glory. Now, one last beatitude for today. And we will kind of wrap up with some implications as we leave this hall um, after this. No, there are so much riches in this short passage that we barely scratch the surface. And that's why I'm kind of speeding up. There's a, there's an excellent book by Martin Lloyd Jones. He says, Sermon of the mouth, 60 sermons that we can only cover in two sermons. Uh, in fact, he has 16 sermons in just today's passage. So, if you find, Andrew, you're too kind of short, I, I invite you to read Martin Lloyd Jones' uh, sermons uh, on Sermon of the mouth. I think there's one in the library. You can grab it if you want to later on. But let's come to the last beatitude for today. Verses 10 to 12. Let me read this for us. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now just as the kingdom people realize how loved they are and how loved they will be in the kingdom of heaven, as they taste a little bit of the kingdom blessedness, Jesus pulls their kingdom-bounded eyes and brings them to look at their earthly-bounded bodies. And then He says, you will be loved. You are loved and you will be loved in kingdom of heaven. But you will be hated in the kingdom of the world. Look on with me at verse 10 to verse 12. What will happen? Notice up to, it has been generic blessed, blessed. Now the generic blessedness turns to disciples and Jesus used the word you. Okay. This is when the you comes in, in bowl. See the bowl. Does it have bold? It has moved from generic to specific to you. And what will happen to you? You will be persecuted, verse 10. You will be insulted, persecuted, falsely accused of evil, verse 11. Just like how they persecuted the prophets, verse 12. But why would the world do so? Because of righteousness, verse 10. Because of Jesus, verse 11. Because this has always been the case. Since the time of the prophets, verse 12. And this is the reality. Just as water and oil are different and they do not mix, no matter how you cannot shake them together, so is the qualitative difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. No matter how you try to put them together, they cannot mix. The king of the kingdom of heaven and prince of the earth, you can never put them together because they will never mix. But here is the most amazing and unexpected beatitude. This is what Jesus says, blessed are we, or blessed are you, when this happens because we are in good company with the prophets. And the disciples will soon find out that they and we are in good company with the king himself. Because the king himself will be persecuted and will be hung on the cross. But second thing that is beautiful about this beatitude is blessed are we because great is our reward in heaven. And the reward will be far beyond anything that this world can possibly offer to you and I. Dear brothers and sisters, let us not settle for anything less that the world of false teachers can offer us. For the blessedness that Jesus is giving to his disciples, to his followers, to Christians, are heaven bound. So do not look for an escape from persecution because it is unavoidable. Do not look to the world's offer of wealth and fame and possession and happiness or a share of treasures from evil, division or war. And do not accept the world's reward in exchange for being just a little bit less like Jesus. Do not accept a share of the world's kingdom by bowing to the evil one. For these are the warnings and exaltation of Jesus to his disciples. The last few verses, verse 13 to 16. So let me read this. For us You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people like a lamb and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on a stand and gives it light it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Dear friends, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then Jesus says you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. We must not lose our saltiness by looking indifferent to the rest of the world. We would lose the value that we're meant to have. We must not exchange the blessedness offered by the king for the ways, the pleasures, and the rewards that are offered by the world in exchange of being just less, a little bit less like Jesus, to be more tolerating, embracing, and compromising to the way that the world works. You know, The world's message to the followers of Jesus is this. You know, Really, why be a sore thumb by seeking righteousness and in the, in the process kind of make the rest of us in the world look bad? Why be so intolerant over things like volunteer abortion or consensual same-sex marriage or relationship or sex outside marriage? Why be so hard up over gossip or cheating? Why be so arrogant and condemning by saying that Jesus is the only way? The world will say to the followers of Jesus, you know what? Be like us. Live like us. Think like us. And we will not persecute you. In fact, we might even reward you. But Jesus wants us not to lose our saltiness. Instead, we are to be the light of the world. Because that is what Jesus came to fulfill. So that the people living in darkness, remember that in the last, uh, last chapter, people living in darkness can see a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, they will see the dawn of light. So Jesus says to his disciples, You are the light of the world. I'm making you like me. That's what Jesus is saying to His disciples. Blessed are you indeed. You will share my footsteps and you will receive my reward. That's why Jesus says, verse 16, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, there will be those who will hate you and me for being too Christian. Actually, it's kind of irony. There's no such word as too Christian. Either Christian or not Christian. There will be those who will hate us for being Christian. But there will be those who will be drawn to Jesus because they start to see His light as a reflection in the Christians that are living as salt and light in this world. They will see that there's something there that they have longed for and they want to have it. And they will come and glorify the Father by saying that I want to know Jesus as well. For those of us who might not know Jesus, this teaching of Jesus is a kind of invitation, so that from the crowds that we can actually be gathered to be his disciples. Because there's no greater blessings than to know the King and to have a place in his kingdom. For the rest of us who profess to be Christians and followers of Jesus, the glaring question for us is this: Are we blessed? Are we salt of the earth? Are we light of the world? Can the world see our King in the light that we reflect? So let me close this time with just uh, this short um, words that someone said that I paraphrase. And this is where I'll end. Someone said this. If a, If it was against the law to be a Christian, would you and I be arrested? And if you and I were put on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you and me guilty? as Christians? Or will they actually release us and say, well, they're just verbal Christians. They agree with everything we say, do and believe. Let's not waste our bullets on them. Let's find some others that actually are real threats who actually lives the way that Jesus says. So may the Lord help us to be more like Him and may the words that He will say in the coming weeks strengthen us and help us to know what it really means to be followers of Jesus and to know Him. Let me close this time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and the blessing He promised to those who would follow Him. So help us to repent our sins, to follow Jesus, to live as kingdom people. For great is our reward when Jesus comes back for His... Help us to stand firm in the face of persecution. Let us remain salty in this world. Help us to be light of the world that points people to Jesus, the King and the Rescuer so that they too may have peace with God yourself. And they too will glorify you whom we can call Father. For the sake of Christ our King, for His glory we pray. Amen.